0: Welcome back to the most accurate podcast here at 4 4 football. As always, I'm your host, John Daigle, joined today by Friend in Life and the man updating for projections around the clock, given the chaos going on, especially in a 16 by week. It is John Pawson himself. How's it hanging?
1: Does this qualify as a bye apocalypse with six teams on bye?
0: There are two it- of them this year. This week and then week 13, the week before the fantasy playoffs for a lot of people, which is not good. Uh, no bye weeks in week eight. But again, the NFL does not care about your personal life.
1: Yeah, I think this is a... So if it's the most this year, then I think it qualifies as a bipocalypse. I just I like saying that word.
0: This one is also much less gruesome than week 13 when all the good offenses go on by. And anyone who drafted kickers early like Justin Tucker knows that because we're in charge of waivers for our leagues and we knew we just didn't want to pick up a kicker until week 13 so I have that going for me I don't have to worry about that spot at least in a lot of teams but a lot to get to today considering all the chaos all the backfield shakeups that are going on changes in usage since we have teams returning from bye weeks now and we'll get to all of that but before then remember you can still get a discount at 444, which is discounted already for the rest of the year. Prices have been knocked down, but you can use the promo code YouTube to get 25% off further that discount. Make it as cheap as possible for yourself. Not my call, corporate's call, but make it as cheap as possible and get in early to see everything we are discussing today. And we begin on Thursday Night Football with the Jaguars and Saints and a game I can't get up for. The Saints missing both starting tackles. Trevor Lawrence banged up, and we think he's going to play. Calvin Ridley averaging a 15.5% target share against man coverage, which the Saints play at the league's fourth highest rate. And then, of course, Derek Carr still being one of the league's worst quarterbacks and completion rate inside the red zone as he's been for his entire career. So let's just begin with Lawrence Paulson. Where do you have him ranked for everyone, assuming he's going to play?
1: Uh, I have him ranked as a low-end QB1 at 12 Uh the Saints are 14th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks. Um, so he's sort of in that range with like Russell Wilson, Matthew Stafford, uh, Sam Howell, and Jared Goff. Very, You know, mediocre sort of matchups there. I think Stafford probably has the best matchup of those four. Uh, Lawrence can run, but I don't know how much he'll run. So he might be a little bit limited in his, you know, as far as the rushing yards are concerned. Um But if he plays, you know, he's one of the better quarterbacks in the league. So, uh, you know, probably a safer play than Sam Howell playing the Giants, who are, you know, they're 12th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks. There's been a few games where teams just haven't had to throw on them. They had that really ugly game with the Bills last week. So, you know, I think I trust Lawrence a little bit more than Howell this week.
0: And for the Jaguars passing game, running attack, it's also concentrated that it makes it simple. Even Travis Etienne, we hinted at it last week, but now he has every single role for himself. Three games now, his past three, that he's handled 100%, all five of the team's running back touches inside the 10-yard line. No one else is getting used in that department. So Etienne has every single role now. On the other side of the ball, though, for the Saints, we did see some change-ups that included Taysom Hill, starting in place of Jawan Johnson as a true tight end 13 snaps in line 25 out wide and then of course leaves with eight targets so where are you ranking taste of hill for everyone among tight ends this week
1: yeah is this going to continue uh is this it was the weirdest thing ever I looked at the box uh, score last week and he had six catches at one point I don't know if he finished with six uh he he He's always discounted in the uh, as a tight end in the tight end premium because he doesn't catch passes, but now apparently he's going to start catching passes. Um, you know they have Foster Moreau there. Uh, Juwan's out again, it looks like. So uh, you know I've got Hill at twenty two, but you know he could probably talk yourself into him as a streamer given this new role. I mean I don't always trust these these roles like this that have completely gone against everything that's happened in the player's career. Uh, the other issue I think with Hill is that, you know, with Jamal Williams back, he's unlikely to see maybe as many carries or goal line carries as he, he would, he still could, uh, Jacksonville is third and adjusted fantasy points allowed to tight end. So it's not the greatest matchup. I did want to mention on the Jacksonville receiver side that I do have, you know, Ridley and Kirk a lot closer this week. I think, you know, I might actually put Kirk ahead of Ridley, given the, uh, man coverage splits that you mentioned, um at the top of top of this uh, segment.
0: And I, I personally think Kirk should be ranked over Ridley every week. Um, he's been the more consistent option. Calvin Ridley's two highest target shares this season, including last week have come against the Colts who play the league's highest rate of zone coverage and cover three, which Calvin Ridley has seen over 30% of his targets against. So like there are reasons why he's seen a high target share against the Colts in particular. And Kirk is just leaps and bounds, earned more targets than Ridley so far in the year. And we're in week seven. Like, who cares about ADP? We're playing a week-to-week game now. There's no reason to hang on to name value right now. So, yes, I am of the camp that believes Kirk should absolutely be ranked over Ridley for week seven.
1: Sounds good. I think Evan Engram's a solid tight end as well. And then if you get into the the Saints' backfield. i interested to hear your take on what you think Jamal Williams, you know, carry share will be in this game. You know, he's coming off the injury. He's got a hamstring injury. Uh, You know, the saints have always tried to limit Alvin Kamara's touches when they can. Uh, But so far this season, it's been kind of a one man show in that backfield. So I'm interested to see what happens with that uh, tonight.
0: And they gave Jamal Williams so much money that I doubt we see the 24 touches that Kamara has seen. In each of his last three games, now I bet we get Jamal Williams just pummeling into the line of scrimmage a couple times. Jaguars defense has still been pretty stout, so yeah, they're good against uh, the run. They, they they limit runs. They allow big plays, but they limit runs overall because they are they do have the their twentieth and rate of ten yard runs against them. But overall, yes, they have limited running backs and contain them pretty well. So Jamal Williams not really on my radar for standalone value, but does he cannibalize Camara? I think so. Uh where do you have Kamara ranked?
1: I moved him once so, I got the news that Jamal Williams is going to play, very likely to play. I moved Kamara from maybe 5 or 6 down to 11. I think he's still a solid play due to the Yeah. I mean, there the Jaguars are kind of a pass funnel, so this could be, you know, Derek Carr's biggest yardage game in a while, and that could trickle down to Kamara, uh Chris Olave and others.
0: And a lot of these decisions as we move along are made for us this week. With six teams on bye, like everyone is putting the Rams running backs content out there and sifting through it. And it's like, I'm as someone who plays fantasy football, I'm in so many situations where I broke the situation down for everyone. And we'll get there eventually. But a lot of these situations just answer themselves for you. Cause you don't have a choice. Six teams on by injuries everywhere. No one ever goes over in 2023 NFL. You just play the guy. If Zach Evans gets zero touches, whatever. I'm playing the guy because I don't have a choice. Sometimes that's the content. That's all you need to hear. Moving on though. We'll get to that soon. Lions at the Ravens. And one that I'm hoping doesn't let me down because I want to be excited. Dropped all the way to 41 and a half total. Has been bet back up to 43. Because if the weather holds, and that's what I'm worried about here. Sloppy conditions projected. But if the weather holds, I think this game could be pretty fun because the Lions have created chaos on defense, but this is their first real test since they allowed 37 points to Geno Smith in overtime. In their last four games, they've played no one. Desmond Ritter, Jordan Love, Bryce Young, and Baker Mayfield. And the way this defense operates favors Lamar Jackson. The Lions have schemed the fourth highest rate of zone coverage. And against zone this year, Lamar has averaged a 71% completion rate for 8.7 yards per attempt. Not only that, but Zay Flowers, curious where you have him ranked because it seems like another favorable spot for him. He's seen 55% of his targets against zone coverage and tripled his yards per route run against that compared to man coverage for 12.5 yards per catch. So pretty clear if Lamar Jackson has success, where he's going to go with the ball here.
1: Yeah, and uh, Detroit is a uh pass funnel as well. Uh they're number one in just fantasy points allowed to running backs. So I have Gus Edwards and Justice Hill pretty low, uh, you know, ranked as RB3s. And you know, in a week where there's six teams on by, that's pretty low. There's probably better options, uh, even on the waiver wire, like a Zach Evans or Latavius Murray, in my opinion. Uh as for Flowers, I have him at twenty-two. He's been bouncing in that. 19 to 22 range as I've been updating projections. Uh, Detroit is 23rd in just the fancy points allowed to receivers. Last week, he was uh, popping in the week six uh, breakout receiver model, and he uh, found the end zone, uh, had a good game. Uh, so I would expect a, another good game from him. And uh, Lamar is going to probably have to throw the ball a little bit more than they are typically wanting to against Detroit, since they are pretty good against the, the Lions are pretty good against the run.
0: What I like about the Lions punching back in this spot too, which... Goes against Ryan Noonan's belief on the betting show, I know. But I view the Lions as one of the least stubborn offenses in the league. And without David Montgomery, they are not a run-first attack that they otherwise would want to be. Even last week against the Bucks front seven, they couldn't run the ball. And they instead schemed the 10th highest pass play rate from neutral game script in what was, for the most part, a one-score game throughout. And opponents this year against the Ravens have taken that same approach with the seventh highest pass play rate overall. So, without Montgomery, I think we get some kick through the air. I'm curious your thoughts on the Lions backfield.
1: Yeah. So, Jameer Gibbs looks like he'll be back, right? So, I would expect him in the lead role, although, you know, we probably will see more Craig, you know, Craig Reynolds than uh, Gibbs managers want to see. Uh, they seem to like to split this no matter who's there. Reynolds has played decent. Uh, They're actually, you know, you look at the adjusted fantasy points allowed to the different positions and the the Ravens are actually a kind of a run funnel. But as you mentioned, the Ravens have given up a lot of pass attempts. They're fifth in the league, the defenses and pass attempts against that might have to do with game script and, you know, leading in games, but they've only allowed the second fewest passing yards per game 163 so their yards per attempt allowed is 5.4 tied for lowest in the league with the browns so teams will try to pass against them the lions may go that route because of their issues at running back Uh, how much success they'll have i don't know this this detroit offense is better than most and they do have quite a bit of talent now with Amon Ross a. Brown back healthy. Jamison Williams uh, flashing last week with a, a big catch. Uh, Josh Reynolds has played pretty well. Sam Laporte is obviously having a great rookie season at tight end. So uh, they do have the talent and they do have a pretty you know good offensive coordinator who can uh, scheme some, some yardage and some players open. So we'll see how they decide to attack it. But it actually sets up more favorably for the run game than it does the pass game based on the numbers.
0: I'm waiting to see if Jameer Gibbs gets in a full practice, because if he practices at full at any point this week, I bet we don't see Craig Reynolds at all, given that we've already seen this backfield in a game without David Montgomery this year. And in that game, remember, Jameer Gibbs handled 72% of the team's backfield touches, ran 20 routes to Craig Reynolds, eight out touched Craig Reynolds, 18 to four. I think it's all Jameer Gibbs, honestly, if he gets in one full practice. If he's limited, though, throughout the week, that would then make me question his actual role in his first game back.
1: Yeah, having sat out tw- two games, I would expect there to be a timeshare here just because they're not oh, okay. fully, fully sure of his of his health. But you, you, you're right, though. If he's, like, fully, or if they take him off the injury report, which sometimes happens, that certainly says he's closer to 100% than previously.
0: For Oh, and then Jamison Williams... I still don't think you're in a position to start him. Only nine routes, just like last year, popped up with a big catch, but wasn't being used at all. He's basically Marvin Mims at this point until otherwise noted. I don't think they're going to truly integrate him into the offense until after their bye around week 10. But where do you have him ranked for everyone who may be in a pinch?
1: Yeah, I mean he's at a wide receiver five level just because of the playing time. So if you're if you're going to start him, you just have to be hoping that they decide to ramp up his snaps and take take snaps away from you know Josh Reynolds or
0: Cleef Raymond. Falcons at the Buccaneers, and what's happened since week two is that the Falcons have trailed for a league-high amount of plays. Thus, they have been forced into the air against Arthur Smith's will for the fifth most dropbacks per game, with Desmond Ritter going over 30 pass attempts in every single one of those contests. And that's why we're suddenly getting Drake London with a, over a 23% target share in all but one of his games since Week 2. We're getting Kyle Pitts and Jonu Smith, both top 12 tight ends and points per game. And then, of course, Bijan Robinson still having his lucrative pass-catching role. And so that's what's going on here, Paulson, is that Drake London now, I think that's the big one here, is actually, I consider a strong wide receiver two rest of season, as opposed to, like, that 5.5% target share we're so far removed from in week one.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, you know, every time we get on board with London or Pitts, it tends to bite us in the ass, uh, pardon my French, but the... the uh, If you're just looking at targets, I mean, these are also like targets with an asterisk. Is how catchable are they from Desmond Ritter? But uh, he had nine for 125 on 12 targets last week. Six for 78 on nine targets in Week Five against Houston. Three for 28 and a touchdown. I think that was a London game uh, on seven targets. So he's he's delivered three usable fantasy lines in his last three games. He's delivered four usable fantasy lines in his last. Five games, so the the one clunker there was Week Three against Detroit, thirty one yards, and of course the goose egg in Week One. Uh, So we haven't seen a one target game in a while from him. He's averaging seven point two targets per game now. So I think we are at the point where he is a an every week start for most fantasy teams, and certainly in a week where you've got six teams on bye, I think he's solid to strong uh, wide receiver two. You know, Tampa is worst, I think. In terms of adjusted fantasy points allowed to receivers, than they are to uh, running backs or tight ends. So I think this is the best matchup uh, on the field uh, for Arthur Smith and his brilliant offense.
0: I am in a position in some leagues where I have to start one of Rashad White or Keyshawn Bond because that's how desperate it has become. But it is not a situation we should be trying to squeeze either into our lineups. We talked about it last week, but that trend continued at their buy with this becoming a 60-40 timeshare, and thus a 0-0 timeshare in this offense. Rashad White now, 63% of the team's backfield touches in his last two games. Keyshawn Vaughn right up there for 38%. So it's just a poor spot against this Falcons defense, uh, stout against the run, just 3.7 yards per carry allowed to opposing running backs. Just a miserable situation.
1: Last week, White had seven carries. Vaughn had six carries. I mean, the only bright spot for White is that he actually rushed for 26 yards, which is almost four yards per carry, whereas Vaughn rushed nine yards on six carries, which is absolutely brutal. 1.5 yards per carry, and White had four targets to to Vaughn's two. So the only reason I would start, I mean, I would would pick White over Vaughn unless we got some news that Vaughn was going to get the start, but you're just you're just banking on a game where he might get 15 touches and you know maybe fall into the end zone but in a, in a week where you've only got where you've got six teams on by it's you know a situation you might have to might have to start him
0: for the commanders at the Giants I'm curious how you parse their receivers I wrote about in the waiver column tyred Taylor being one of my favorite streaming options I may even talk about him on the DFS show on Friday at 6 p.m Eastern but The point is, this commander's defense is absolutely dreadful. They've allowed a top 12 quarterback in every game since week two with the fourth most yards per attempt and the eighth highest rate of 15-yard gains through the air. Tyrod also snuck in five carries on Sunday night against the Bengals with a higher floor than perceived. And what we saw from their wide receivers was Brian Dable shake up the rotation entirely. It has become Darius Slayton, who has always led the team in routes run. But Darius Slayton, yet again, led the team in routes run, 87% of dropbacks. And then after that, Jalen Hyatt and Wandell Robinson at 73%. Other than that, no one else. Isaiah Hodgins, just 11 routes. Sterling Shepard, zero routes. Paris Campbell, healthy scratched. So we now have a strong three wide receiver set rotation in what should be a good spot.
1: Yeah, and I would favor of these. I would favor the outside receivers over Robinson, even though he's seen the targets. To just do this matchup with Taron Johnson in the slot it doesn't look very good. Uh, very low fantasy points allowed uh, per route covered for Taron Johnson, whereas Dane Jackson, Christian Benford uh, have been more forgiving. Uh, certainly, Dane Jackson, who primarily will line up opposite uh, Starius Slayton, uh, but they do move Slayton around quite a bit, right and left. But he, he's primarily on the right side. Uh, Dane Jackson 0.45 fantasy points per route, which is one of the higher uh, in the league. So that's, that's the best matchup Robinson has been seeing the most targets. Um, but, you know, Taylor did, you know, target Slayton a couple times in that game against the bills. And uh, I think there was one near miss uh, he's got, he's got the speed to, you know, exploit the the outside there.
0: That is my pick. If I'm desperate for a flex option anywhere, Uh, To your point, the Commanders have allowed a league-high 11.7 yards per catch to opposing boundary receivers. And 60% of Slayton's targets last week against the Bills came 20 yards downfield. So he's getting the targets where it matters most for fantasy. He's seeing a majority of them there. He's in the best spot. And he is leading the team in routes run. So that's absolutely my pick. Make Little Caesars the official pizza sponsor of the NFL, part of your game day. And now you can score even more pizza with your pizza. It's easy. Just order online during Little Caesars Pizza Pizza pregame, one hour before and three hours after NFL kickoffs, plus all day Sunday, and become eligible for instant win prizes. And best of all, you pick the toppings you crave. I attended a live Scott Fishbowl draft over the summer, and was convinced by a friend to try Little Caesar's Pretzel Stuffed Crust Pizza with cheese sauce. And no hyperbole, it changed my life forever. Either way, everyone wins with Little Caesar's convenient delivery or in-store pizza portal pickup. You can even pay for your pizza on the Little Caesar's app and have your friends grab it on their way over to watch the game. That's how you enjoy a few slices during the tastiest hour before kickoff. Pizza, pizza. Mobile tickets make getting in on Game Day a breeze. You can even customize your Ticketmaster app to rep your team's colors. Find tickets today at Ticketmaster.com/nFL. PrizePix is North America's largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform and one of the most exciting ways to play DFS. And best of all, prize is simple: Just choose between two to six players and pick more or less than their prize pick stat projection. It's that easy, and you can win up to 25 times your money on any entry. But it doesn't stop there. PrizePix even offers in-game projections. Imagine gathering at the house, watching football with all your friends, and building an entry to cheer for together, with more Devonta Smith receiving yards, or less Justin Fields rushing yards. Now, you can. Just go to prizepix.com accurate And use the promo code ACCURATE to match your first deposit up to $100. Price picks. Daily fantasy sports made easy. On the other side of the ball, we've also seen Terry McLaurin separate himself from Jahan Dotson of late.
1: By a lot. Uh, And I think we've also seen Curtis Samuel separate himself from Jahan Dotson. Curtis Samuel is the wide receiver 25 or something on the year. Uh, he's got a nice matchup in the slot with, against D Alford. Uh, so I, I have a, I have a McLaurin, Samuel, and then Dotson this week. Uh, I don't know how you feel about that. but McLaurin's a, a low-end uh, wide receiver, too. He's getting more consistent targets. We know he's a good player. And then Samuel is getting more usage than Dotson, more consistent usage. He also runs the ball a little bit. Uh, he had the touchdown, I think, last week. Uh, so he does get targeted quite a bit in the red zone as well. So he'd be my pick uh, as a number two option this week.
0: I was slacking... Our own Jen Eakins about this because you know you're down bad when six teams are on by, you're playing the Giants, and we still can't start you. And that's Jahan Dotson, who has been under 15% of the team's targets in four of his last five games, literally unstartable. So at this point, if you want to hold on to him just because you may have drafted him thinking he's the breakout option, and he could be at the end of the year. But he has to have a complete role change right now. The routes don't matter. In practice, he was holding kicks as the team's primary placeholder uh, for extra points on Thursday because that's how far we've come. So you just can't start him. I mean, it's that simple. You could,
1: you could start him in your points per held kick.
0: Yeah, league. that's that's the one.
1: He might be uh, a wide receiver one in that one.
0: Logan Thomas also one yep. target this past game, but. I don't mind going back just given six teams on by we lost some tight ends, including Dalton Schultz, who did lead the team in targets and back to back games. So uh, if Logan Thomas is still in your roster, it's not really a situation where I'm terrified to start him. I'm still comfortable playing him.
1: Yeah, I would agree. He's he's uh, he, I just mentioned that he's been had a consistent role. And then last week was kind of an aberration where he didn't, you know, he only had the one target
0: for the Raiders at the bears. I think we're still in waiting on the Raiders quarterback because Brian Hoyer came off the bench. But just like last time they were in this situation against the Chargers, we don't think Hoyer will start because it doesn't make sense to throw the rookie in like under fire mid-game, whereas that's kind of Hoyer's job. So now with another week to prep, we think Aiden O'Connell will probably start in place of Jimmy Garoppolo, and it is a really good spot. Like only Kirk Cousins' past game has failed to reach 18 fantasy points against the Bears so far this year. Like we want our quarterbacks against the Bears, so in deeper superflex leagues, I will start Aiden O'Connell, assuming he's under center. But what are you doing with the fallout, the players around him, Devontae Adams, Jacoby Myers through the passing game?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting take. I have right now. I have uh, Hoyer in the because I, I thought that the his him coming in relief would indicate that he's going to start, but I think you're making you make some sense about how he probably had much better equipped to come in mid game and do decent than O'Connell. And that if they want to see what O'Connell can do with a week of practice, I'm going to keep and an eye on that.
0: Go we ahead. didn't get a fair look at O'Connell in week four. Uh, Khalil Mack just stayed in the backfield for six sacks. <laughs> Whereas like this time I mentioned the bears matchup for fantasy, but also their 21st in pressure rate. If it's O'Connell, I think it's a pretty good spot, honestly.
1: Yeah. Uh, bears. I mean, bears Raiders. I mean, this is one where you, probably want the defenses the most of any of the team you know any of the players uh yeah it, it's been interesting to see Devonte adams sort of i wouldn't call it a fall from grace he still is playing an excellent he's had some big games uh i think he's frustrated with the situation right now i can't i can't blame him he went to vegas to play with his old college teammate and they summarily dismissed Derek carr and you know after the year and now he's dealing with Jimmy Garoppolo and Aiden O'Connell and Brian Hoyer as his quarterbacks, and he's also dealing with a target uh, pinch with Jacoby Myers uh, playing very well. We knew he was um, an emerging receiver in, uh, in New England last year, and that was a good signing by the by Vegas to bring him over. Uh, so it's just not the Devonte twelve plus targets every week like we've been seeing. Um, and we can, I mean, we can hope that the passing game does well. Uh, but with this quarterback change, we just don't have a ton of confidence. So I think he's being bumped down from like five or four or five range down to eight or nine. Uh, Devonte is, while uh, Myers is at, you know low end wide receiver two, high end wide receiver three.
0: I think Adams has still been dealing with that ankle injury he suffered a couple of weeks ago too. Like Devonta Smith and Chris Olave, these guys are still out here for a route on every drop bag, basically, but I think they're playing through injury, honestly, and that's what's been happening with Adams. You talked about emerging, though, and that's what leads me to Michael Mayer in a sweet spot against this Bears defense, allowing the top three amount of fantasy points per game to opposing tight ends. Mayer, the trend continued this past week after leading Austin Hooper in routes run just two weeks ago. This week, 67% route rate, 19% target share, Led the team in receiving yards, and as Adams continues to be, in my opinion, banged up, the uh, this team has needed a second receiver to emerge, and that is certainly Michael Mayer. So I'm quite high on Michael Mayer. I'll be playing him as a low end tight end one. What about your ranking?
1: Yeah, he's he's moved up in the rankings. Obviously, he started the season as Austin Hooper's backup, and over the last three weeks, we've seen a steady increase in. Usage and steady increase in snaps played to a point where he was playing more snaps than Hooper last week, uh, and had a, you know had some good games here the last couple of weeks. So yeah, Mayer I would would have as a mid range to high end uh, tight end two this
0: week. On the other side of the ball, Tyson Bagent, under center, undrafted D two quarterback from Shepherd University, came in for relief of Justin Fields dealing with his finger injury, and he played. Exactly as you expected. Uh, fumble six, a egregious interception, throwing it downfield on first and 10 when they were within one score of their opponent. Um, but I don't know what to do with DJ Moore. Like I'm in a situation where I think I should be benching him for Jordan Addison and a handful of others. So where do you have him ranked?
1: Yeah, I mean, you could you could make that case. He did get uh, I think four targets on ten pass attempts from Bayent. so I think they
0: quote unquote I, targets. Yes. Yeah,
1: I think he did complete three or four of them. So I don't have the stat head uh, sheet pulled up here, but I wasn't after looking at that. I wasn't as concerned about more. Uh, just I mean, it isn't particularly great matchup. I have him at uh, wide receiver fifteen. Vegas is six in the fantasy points allowed to running backs. I think this is a game that Vegas will try to control on the ground and kind of drain this clock and use Josh Jacobs a lot early and often and just try to do long drives. Uh, so that might limit uh, the the Bears' offense's uh, opportunities. Certainly, if if Fields out, it's a big downgrade for DJ Moore. I, I have him at fifteen, but I mean, looking at the guys below him, Marquise Brown. Nice matchup against Seattle, Tyler Lockett. Nice matchup against uh, Cardinals, Amari Cooper, Calvin Ridley, McLaurin, Kirk. Those guys you could all make a case for over D.J. Moore, given this quarterback change.
0: Talk about running the clock out, too. I mean, Jacobs is so worn down by last year's 390 touches. You can tell he's wearing on his bones 2.9 yards per carry no juice and even the best of matchups so just another player you keep playing because he's seeing 90 percent of the team's backfield touches but zero faith of a ceiling here like man it's been miserable uh and for their backfield what we saw was a timeshare in the first half without roshan johnson roshan johnson who even as of thursday i'm not expecting to play he's still in concussion protocol we're talking two weeks later and even by the sounds of the coachings when they were interviewed about it, didn't sound promising for him. So I'm expecting Roshan to be out of this game. And if that's the case, I don't know if I have any faith here. Darrington Evans out touched Deontay Foreman seven to six. When Bajant came in the game, that's when Foreman saw 10 of his 15 carries because they were just trying to hide Bajant under center. Like they didn't want him getting the ball. So unless you have thoughts in this backfield, like I don't know what to do with it except avoid it.
1: Well, I think that if. Roshan Johnson is indeed out. And as you mentioned, uh, as of today, he's still in the concussion protocol,
0: which is two Uh, weeks removed from when he suffered it.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, normally we knock him out. Uh, That's a bad phrasing. Normally we remove him or a player from the rankings the following week for sure. And then they're usually back two weeks later and now we're getting worried. Uh, he needs to get involved in practice here quickly. I don't think it's going to happen. So, I'm going to take him out of the rankings today. Uh, Foreman's going to move up. I mean, I think into especially this week, uh, he's at 22 right now. Uh, Vegas is 27th just to fantasy points allowed to the position. I think there'll be a run-heavy game plan given the quarterback situation. They should have some. Uh, I mean, AJ Dillon had his best game against the Raiders. Uh, Says a lot. Yeah. Uh, so I think uh, I think uh, Dante Foreman can uh, provide serviceable uh, wide uh, running back two type type numbers this week.
0: Bills at the Patriots, Patriots being eight-point home dogs. And what we've seen is that Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs have had no issues, just drowning Belichick and the Patriots defense. Allen multiple touchdowns and four consecutive starts against New England. And their last five matchups, Stefan Diggs' worst performance was 51 receiving yards like still got home with a touchdown on three of five and over 80 receiving yards in those games. And that's kind of where the ball goes. No one has questions about the Bills passing game. What we're really seeing is their running backs being a timeshare. James Cook still hasn't handled over 60% of the team's backfield touches in more than one game since week one. It was a, as we talked about last week, 50, 25, 25 share. But with Damian Harris now dealing with this unfortunate neck injury, it's become more 50-50, 60-40 in James A. Cook. So if someone's in a pinch, I'm curious where you have Latavius Murray, right? Because I think you can legitimately start him this week.
1: You absolutely can l- legitimately start him. It was, the touch ratio last week was 14 to 12. That's what Dam- that's what Damian Harris playing one snap and getting injured uh, with one touch. So it looks like Murray is getting all of Harris's work. And that's putting him into more of a 50/50 type timeshare. Uh, the snaps were dead even, 49% each for James Cook and Latavius Murray. So I do have James Cook higher. Uh, I've got him at 21, but I think that's a little bit lower than consensus this week. And I've got Murray at 30, which makes him a you know RB3 flex option this week. Probably, I mean, I, I don't know where we're at with Cook's uh, goal line carries, but I would think you know the odds-on favorite to get a touchdown, a rushing touchdown inside the 10 is probably Latavius Murray.
0: And even last week against the Giants, it went nowhere. But before the half, he did receive all three carries at the goal line uh, for the Bills. For the Patriots, I think it's actually pretty simple. Like Kendrick Bourne popped up last week with that 35% target share because Juju Smith-Schuster and Demario Douglas were out. There was nowhere else to go with the ball. Also, for their tight ends, Hunter Henry banged up limited or not practicing the last time I saw on Wednesday. And so if Henry's out, if those two receivers are out, it's very clear, like, if you're desperate, you go to Mike Jasicki and Kendrick Bourne. Otherwise, as Kendrick Bourne has shown us since week one, it's just hard to trust him weekly. Like, you don't need to get there. But for their running backs, assuming Ramondre Stevenson plays, where do you have him ranked since him and Zeke are still uh, playing just enough to annoy us with Ramondre?
1: <laughs> uh, Ramondre, I have him as a you know solid RB2 in a short week. Uh, Buffalo is still getting gashed on the ground. Uh, I think it's five point something yards per carry. Uh, it was over 5.4 yards per carry, 134 yards, uh, rushing allowed per game. So that's the way to beat him if you're going to try to keep it close to beat them. Uh, Saquon Barkley had a rough start to that game, but then broke a couple of big runs on an important drive for the Giants to keep that game close. Uh, That's the way they could try to win. Uh, As far as Bourne, I I do think that whenever he's gotten the opportunities in terms of snaps, he has typically delivered. He's averaging 4.9 catches for 60 yards and 0.3 touchdowns on 7.3 targets per game in the last 10 games where he's played at least 75% of the snaps. It's just been... His career has been one of these up and down in terms of playing time situations. But as you mentioned, they're just so banged up at receiver that he is very likely to play 80 plus percent of the snaps this week and see another six, seven plus targets. And that makes him viable, I think, in
0: this game. Browns at the Colts, and we at least have enough confidence in PG Walker if you were to start. Deshaun Watson limited in throwing on Thursday. So we'll have to see. Either way, an amazing spot for Amari Cooper. Uh even if it's Walker, just last week Amari Cooper 24.2% target share. Remember from Deshaun Watson, Cooper was leading the team with a 35% target share. Elijah Moore just behind him at 33%. No one else mattered in that case. Even David Njoku was down to only 11% of the team's targets from Watson. And now it's this Colts defense that has allowed one and on two occasions, two different wide receivers to score at least 13 PPR points in every game this year. So no matter who's under center, I think the point is we're loading up on the Browns receivers and having confidence.
1: Yeah, and I think what we saw last week was that uh, Cooper and Walker have a good enough rapport that we can trust Cooper out there. He's got a nice matchup with Julius Brents, uh as well. The Colts are a secondary that we've been targeting. Um this year. So I think it's a, it's a good spot for him. I have it ranked as a solid wide receiver too.
0: The Browns backfield, a timeshare out of their buy. Even on the first drive, Kareem Hunt touched Jerome Ford three to one. At the end of the day, Jerome Ford, 19 touches, Kareem Hunt, 15, Ford, 14 routes, Hunt, 13. So a true timeshare. But now last I saw on Wednesday, Kareem Hunt banged up, not practicing, so we may get a full Jerome Ford performance here. Where do you have those two ranked?
1: Uh, I have, I have Ford as a low end uh, RB one. I have uh, hunt. If he plays uh, ranked as a high end RB two, it was, uh, you know, for hunt managers, it was nice to see him get that sort of workload. And, you know, they're starting to do a timeshare with him and Ford, but if he's banged up or out, then I can I think you could look at Ford as a solid RB one, uh, in terms of volume, uh, the Colts are twenty fourth and just the fantasy points allowed to uh, running backs. So I think he with hunt out would be his his touch floor would be very high.
0: The Colts also an interesting situation because we saw the pendulum swing back in the favor of Jonathan Taylor, as we expected forty two million later. And after out touching Taylor, to in their first game together. Zach Moss and Taylor instead split touches, 50-50. How are you parsing this backfield against this menacing Browns defense that has literally allowed the fewest yards from scrimmage of any unit since 1971?
1: (laughs) Well, I think we're seeing a shift towards Taylor that probably will continue. I don't think that Zach Moss just goes away. He's probably going to be more annoying as the backup, as far as Taylor managers are concerned than anybody they've had there in the past. Uh, Moss has played very well, so there's no reason to give Jonathan Taylor 25, 30 touches per game. Um, But this is, we we, we went into last week against the 49ers wondering if the Browns defense was for real. And I think we've got an answer that they are a strong unit. So uh, this is not a defense that I would be targeting as a fantasy manager, although, you know, the, the the Colts run the ball pretty well, the game's at home. I could see Taylor getting there with, you know, 60 yards, 80 yards total, and a touchdown uh, potentially, but this could be a grind.
0: And it's tough for their wide receivers here. I thought Gardner Minshew was shaving points in the first half. He looked so terrible. Also, the Browns allowing a league-low receiving yards per game to opposing slot receivers. So we have this 21% target share for Josh Downs. From Minshew instead of Anthony Richardson, but I don't have any amount of faith in it this week at all. Uh, any notes on the Colts wide receivers before we move on?
1: Yeah, I mean Pittman is downgraded due to this matchup. Uh, the, the The Browns are number one in adjusted fantasy points allowed to receivers, which is not a huge surprise, and that that kind of puts like a fringe option like Downs into the wide receiver five type rankings because we just you know there's just not going to be a ton of passing yardage available. Gardner Minshew hasn't looked particularly good. He's unlikely to to tear it up this week. So the the one guy you can maybe count on is Pittman in terms of a dart throw because of the number of targets he's likely to see, uh, but don't have a lot of confidence in downs or any of the other pass catchers for the Colts.
0: Steelers at the Rams. And what everyone wants to hear is how you are ranking the Rams running backs this week between Zach Evans, Daryl Henderson, who's not even on the active roster yet, Miles Gaskin, and Royce Freeman?
1: <laughs> it's a good matchup. Uh, that's how you can talk yourself into it. You know, Zach Evans is the next guy up, quote unquote. Uh, Sean McVay has a tendency to ride his RB1 uh, in terms of lead back touches and not really spread things out amongst multiple people. Uh, does he trust him? I don't know. He's been, He's been the one that's been with the team and, you know, been active and, uh, this is a good matchup for him. I have him ranked as an RB three, just on hope that uh, the trends sort of continue, that the next man up is the guy there, and that he sees the bulk of the touches. And in a nice matchup against Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh defense is kind of overrated, in my opinion, in terms of fantasy wise. Like they give up a lot of points all over the field.
0: To your point, a Rams running back has handled seventy-one percent of the team's backfield touches in every game since week two. That's been Kyron Williams to this point, but we think one player is going to be used. The issue is that one. They lack a ceiling anyways. The last two weeks with Cooper Cup back in the mix, the Rams have targeted their running backs at a league-low 5.5% rate. No one's going to earn targets here anyways. So already, temper your expectations. But Zach Evans, his one issue in college too, and he was a superstar prospect. Five-star prospect, committed to Georgia initially before backing out and going to TCU. Ended his last year in college at Ole Miss, was all over the place, so the metrics never really showed anything. But the one thing he did terribly was what Kyron Williams and Daryl Henderson understand, and that's pass pro. So I already don't think they have a ceiling because you have to be used in the passing game to have any amount of ceiling. Ask the Ravens running backs. But if Evans is also not going to be in there in pass pro, and even when Sean McVay was asked about it, he talked about Daryl Henderson. He had one line that I I can't shake, and he said that he gets his nose in there in pass protection and gets dirty. And that told me, oh, like Evans isn't playing on passing snaps at all either. Not that he would see the targets anyways, but he's not going to be in there. So if that's the case, uh, my guess, and that's all it is, my educated guess is that Zach Evans leads in touches, and I have to start him because we have six teams on bye. Royce Freeman is a special teamer, and Daryl Henderson is familiar with the scheme. Maybe Miles Gaskin is familiar with the scheme since he was poached from Kevin O'Connell's practice squad, and... Those ties run deep since Kevin O'Connell came from Sean McFay. But I, Miles Gaskin's not a player I'm trusting this week. I would say this week it's Zach Evans leading in touches. What that amounts to, I don't know. But I have to start him. That's your soliloquy.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think the interesting thing to be will to see will be who is active amongst uh, Henderson and Gaskin because we think it'll be Evans and Freeman for sure. Uh, but so that gives you, you know, the highest floor probably with Evans. But he, you know, would it be shocking if they just brought Daryl Henderson in and he saw 15 touches? I mean, I wouldn't be super surprised. But to have somebody come off the street and see that sort of workload when Evans has been in the fold this whole time, it would be it would be surprising.
0: The real answer is the Rams' passing game. Like that's the answer. probably yeah because the Steelers, you already said they are creating enough pressure to maybe make this game a little bit scarier for Matthew Stafford because he's been such a different quarterback when he's been under pressure. Eight yards pro tip from a clean pocket and the Steelers are eighth and creating pressure. But they're allowing a league high 146 receiving yards to opposing slot receivers where Cooper Cup has seen 35% and 43% of the team's targets since returning. And they're also allowing big plays. Like they're allowing the seventh highest rate of 15-yard gains through the air. And that would have been even higher if the Ravens didn't drop four touchdowns and make that number look lower. So Stafford can have a lot of success because this Steelers defense is not good outside of TJ Watt. And that's kind of the point everyone gets lost in. So it's one of only two totals on the board. The Eagles, Dolphins being the other, where it's actually increased this week. And I think it's because the Rams shouldn't have any issues moving the ball.
1: Yeah. He's got, he's got Cooper Cup back. That's number one. He's, Puka is good as well. Good option. Higby's solid. So get looking at the running game. And if it doesn't get going right away with, uh, you know, with Evans or whoever else, then they're they're just going to go to a pass. They might be pass heavy from the start of this game.
0: On the other side of the ball, what are you doing with? Najee Harris, the RB, 46 in points per game, and Jalen Warren, who has outscored Najee Harris in PPR leagues in literally every game they've played.
1: Uh, the Rams are a tough matchup. They're second adjusted fantasy points allowed to running back, so I don't have either play or high. Uh, Najee continues to see carries, but as you mentioned, Jalen Warren has been the pass catcher and scoring more in PPR, so they're very close in half PPR, 26 for, for Harris and 28 for Warren. But those two could easily... they are very I mean, they're just very close in the projection, so those two could easily be flipped if you have both.
0: You're probably in a position, two with six teams on bye to start George Pickens, but definitely concerned. 15.5% target share in week one. Deontay Johnson coming back at full strength, and I don't have any issues throwing Deontay Johnson right back in there as a wide receiver, two, as we thought, because his recovery matched up perfectly with the team's bye week four games on IR and then two weeks afterwards. So he's had six weeks to recover throwing Deontay Johnson in there. And I definitely think he leads George Pickens in targets. What I'm really looking for is will George Pickens role change or stay the same since he was used in more elaborate ways. His route tree was much more expansive without Deontay Johnson. Will he just go back to useless go routes and having to score a touchdown to get there in fantasy? That's what I'll be looking at for these receivers.
1: Yeah, I mean, I have Pickens higher just because Deontay's coming hmm. off the break. I, I do see your point about the bye week and that he should be fully healthy. I think the the one problem with Deontay Johnson is with, with Kenny Pickett is that he just hasn't caught touchdowns with him, uh, whereas Pickens has been a good red zone and touchdown option for him. So that's why I've got him a little bit higher.
0: Cardinals at the Seahawks. And as the Rams showed us last week, even though it could have been better because both Puka and Tyler Higby dropped touchdowns. But you could do whatever you want against this Cardinals defense, which makes the Seahawks offense so exciting. And the one keynote that I mentioned in the waiver podcast, for those that didn't listen, and if you did, you're welcome to hear me repeat myself, is that the Seahawks came out of the bye as a three-wide set passing team. Before the bye, 24th and 11 personnel usage, 25th and passing from 11 personnel. Out of the bye, 10th in 11 personnel, and 12th in passing from three wide sets. That's why Jackson Smith and Jigba, although it didn't show in the box score, just a 13.8% target share, he ran a route in a season-high 78% of dropbacks. And now it's this spot where the Cardinals are allowing a league-high 10.5 yards per catch to opposing slot receivers where he's led the team. And so I think as early as this week, you can plug in Smith and Jigba as a flex, You can start Geno Smith as a QB1. Everyone seems to be getting there in this spot.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm taking the – maybe I'm cursing myself here, but I'm taking the Seahawks in my survivor pool, the Bettsberts survivor pool. Uh, We'll see. Uh, I'm still alive, so I'm fortunate to be still alive there. But, yeah, you know, he came out with his best game out of the bye, Jackson Smith and Jigba, 4-for-48. Uh, five targets. He did have six targets the week before, you know, the week before the bye, but only three three catches for five yards. So just the a dot wasn't there uh, for him. But you know, this is probably a get right game for Geno Smith. Maybe a put it put up or shut up type game for him. He needs to uh, have a good one here against the Cardinals. They're twenty sixth in adjusted fantasy points allowed to receivers. I think they're thirtieth in adjusted fantasy points allowed uh, to quarterbacks. Thirty first actually. So. Uh, and the game's at home as well. They have to win this game. Uh, so I, I expect a good uh, passing outing. And I also think that, I mean, the walk, Kenneth Walker is also a good start. Arizona's 29th in a just effect. Like there's some teams that are pass funnels or run funnels. That is an everything funnel for the uh, for the Cardinals. So you can start everybody against them. Uh, and, you know, Walker, Geno Smith, Lockett, TK Metcalf, and, and Jackson Smith and Jigba, if you're desperate. Out of the
0: bye two like, Quentin Johnston, a post-buy rookie dip. The bump doesn't exist in 2023 because Kenneth Walker, 22 of 26, backfield touches over Zach Charbonnet, who could still be used in garbage time here if you're that desperate. On the other side of the ball, too, it just sucks because Josh Jobs was such a good story through the first month of the season, but he's become a pumpkin now these last two games. 56% completion rate, 9 of 28 on throws 10 yards downfield these past two weeks. So really, like, When we play Marquise Brown, the targets aren't even efficient. But when you see 31% of them since week two, you just kind of roll these guys out there.
1: Yeah, you're hoping, uh, I guess, for vintage Dobbs, early season Dobbs here. And a pretty nice matchup against Seattle. They are a pass funnel that the Seahawks are. So I think there will be more pass attempts uh, available here for, for Dobbs, for Marquise Brown, Michael Wilson. Uh, I think Marquise Brown is a solid wide receiver too. I think Wilson is in that wide receiver four. You might want to start him as a flex type play. Rondale Moore is just his usage has been a little bit up and down, um, but I think Brown certainly is startable. Wilson is kind of a dart throw, uh, and I think Dobbs as a in a game where they're going to have to throw. I think due to what we said about the Seahawks offense putting up some points, uh, I think Dobbs is viable as a QB two streamer.
0: And honestly, if you had to pick one to start, i go back to Amari DiMarcado among their backfield because, again, they are eight-point dogs. We think they're going to pass, and DiMarcado ran 26 routes to Ingrams and Damian Williams combined 14, out both of them as well. Like, the usage, the touches do not show his usage under the hood. So if I had to pick one in this spot, it is for me, dear although that means none of them get there.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the routes are nice if you're in a point per route league. Uh, yeah, but the,
0: the, he the routes one, don't pay he, my bills. Yes, I agree.
1: <laughs> he had one uh, target on all those uh, routes, but I did want to pull up uh, the receiving stats just to see what Seattle, they're they're middle of the road in terms of uh, yards allowed to running backs in the past. They're getting better or, yeah. too.
0: Like you mentioned them as a pass funnel, yes, but for that, Those first few games, remember, Tariq Woolen, Devin Witherspoon, who looks back at full strength. He looks awesome now on the other boundary. Uh, They're getting healthier, so they make me a little more concerned through the air outside of the middle of the field.
1: Yeah, Keontae Ingram saw 12 touches, Damian Williams 9. But uh, as you mentioned, DeMarcado led the team in snaps 43%, but only saw the three targets and all those routes, Mm a routes route. So he's getting the wind sprints in.
0: Bounce back weeks for Deonta and Amari DiMercato. Chargers at the Chiefs. Cross your fingers that 2023 does not fail us altogether. We need this game to be good. Justin Herbert has averaged 24 fantasy points in his last four games against the Chiefs under Brandon Staley. And not one of those games was decided by more than six points. My only concern is that since the Chiefs got Chris Jones back in week two, It's their defense that has stood out among their offense. Only 13.4 points per game allowed in that span. If you look at the advanced metrics, second best in EPA per play and drop back success rate in limiting opposing quarterbacks and the third highest rate of pressures that they've converted into sacks. Also, the Chargers offense, a lot of big plays left on the field, but really they've been bad. They've been unable to pass downfield without Mike Williams. Uh, Only a two game sample but 28th in yards per play. Herbert, these past two weeks, one of eight on throws 20 yards deep. Just 57% of his passes completed in that time. So I'm crossing my fingers, Paulson. We need a good game. I believe in Josh Palmer, these ancillary options for the Chargers, but I'm worried.
1: Yeah, they're seventh. I was looking at the AFPA. They're (laughs) seventh in adjusted fantasy points allowed to receivers. Key and Allen, you start them. (laughs) You don't even question it. But Palmer as like, a fringe option is a little bit less appealing to me but he did drop a deep he caught one I think he was four for 77 last week but he could have been I think he dropped one uh, unless that was the week before a, a deep ball as well uh, but he's still well ahead of Quentin Johnson we're not seeing any pressure there on palmer's usage so he's certainly the number two receiver in this offense i think gerald everett is a viable tight end streamer as well i mean the, the one thing you can sort of hang your hat on or hope hope happens is that the chiefs are able to score points on this defense which you know the Chargers defense is a little sketchy uh jump out to a lead and you know get herbert into a very pass heavy type environment
0: And for the Chiefs, it is easy as well, because even with Kadarius Toney scoring a touchdown last week, Rasheed Rice led him in fantasy points and had his routes increase to 60% from the time Justin Watson was injured. Remember, Rice was only running around 31% of dropbacks through week five. So we think it very clearly goes to Rasheed Rice and then, of course, Travis Kelsey, who... We keep trying to pinpoint Kelsey's regression here, but once again, averaging 3.3 more points per game, the next cl- closest tight end. No one else matters. We're all just living in Kelsey's world.
1: Yeah, and he's got a, a new girlfriend too, I heard. Uh, I haven't very, heard that. Yeah, she's a successful person. Um, so good for him. Uh, yes, to underline your point on Rasheed Rice, he posted 4 for 72 on four targets, ran the second most routes after MVS, uh last week he's averaging 2.75 yards per route run which is easily the team high watson was second with 1.71 he's running most of his routes out of the slot so i don't know how much the watson uh injury is going to affect him other than the fact that they just may be like okay we need to get him on the field more because he's our most productive receiver um he's got the second highest yards per route run by uh 2019 or 2023 rookie uh behind only marvin mims so there you go. I think Rice is a solid wide receiver three. I've got him at uh, 33 this week. Uh, I don't know that I would trust any other player in this uh, receiving core. You know, obviously Travis Kelsey, but any other receiver, I don't know. I don't see anybody else that I'd want to start. I think Rice yeah, is, the, is the play.
0: I mean, imagine starting MBS or Predators, Tony. How down bad do you have to be to get to those guys? I mean,
1: uh, if you're in a point per, you know, win sprint, uh, MBS is – Is up there.
0: (laughs) He's available. He's certainly available. Uh, Packers at the Broncos. Broncos, the line has moved a lot. Broncos now a one-point home underdogs. And curious where you have Aaron Jones ranked. Limited week. Not sure if you've heard anything else on if we think he's going to be actually healthy or just fake healthy like the last game we saw him.
1: Well, coming off the bye, I feel like he's got to be there uh you know i think it's training the right way he has the best matchup in the league uh denver is 32nd just a fantasy points allowed to the position so in a short week i have him at rb 13 uh right below jerome ford and ahead of brian robinson uh it's kind of a wish ranking right now we'll see if he you know it'd be nice to see him and get a full practice in tomorrow uh but we'll see uh A.J. Dillon, if, if Jones is out, A.J. Dillon will move into you know the RB2 ranks just out of volume and matchup play, and he did pretty well against uh, Vegas uh, in a nice matchup uh, that Monday night football game. So that's where I'm at with him. Jordan Love, I have him at 9. Uh, he might need to be down below Stafford just from a floor standpoint, but Denver is 30th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks. So this is a good spot for the Packer uh, passing game if they can get things back on track.
0: Christian Watson and Luke Musgrave are the two I have the most faith in. Uh, Broncos allowing a 76% completion rate on throws 10 yards downfield. And Watson, who we haven't even seen at full strength yet before the bye, he's already seen seven of his 11 11 targets 10 yards downfield. So everything kind of matches and the stars align for Watson in this matchup. And Luke Musgrave, the route participation down the past time we saw him, but remember he was benched a couple series for running the wrong route, I believe it was, against the Raiders. So if we're getting back up to this, you know, full-time spot against this Broncos defense, top three in points allowed to opposing tight ends, then yeah, I'm confident with Musgrave in this game too.
1: Yeah, they're 32nd and just the fantasy points allowed to tight ends are the Broncos. So they're bad in like a lot of facets of, of defense. The, oh, yeah. the Packer, Packer offense should be a lot better. I, and I don't know how concerned you are. You mentioned Watson. I, you know, looked at his matchup. He's got Patrick Sertain probably um, shadowing him. Does that does that worry you at all? Sertain hasn't been like shut down quality this year, uh, and really all the matchups are pretty good when you just look at the pure numbers. It's just kind of a name recognition with Sertain as as a shadow. You don't worry about that with with Watson.
0: Anytime someone mentions Sertain. I would just tell him to pull up Robbie Anderson, burning him uh, for a seventy-yard touchdown from Mike White. Whenever the Broncos play the Dolphins,
1: <laughs> okay. It's
0: like that's that's the only film on cornerbacks I need to see is that he couldn't contain Robbie Robbie Chosen or whatever the hell his Robbie name chosen,
1: is Robbie Chosen. His name is yeah. All right, sounds good. But Dobb, I think Dobbs is a viable play as well. And if you're really desperate, Jaden Reed, I think the the passing game should get back on track for the Packers. We'll see.
0: I think Judy is the play on the Broncos' side of the ball. Just given that they're trying, they're trying to feature him to treat him, but he's still, you know, he's not getting there at all. So they're actually losing value when they play him more. But given how the Packers have seeded receiving yards, in particular in the slot, I think Judy's the play there. But how do you have those guys ranked?
1: Uh, I've just been fading Judy all year, uh, and it seems to be working out. So I'm not going to wish wish rank him any higher. I think Sutton's the best receiver there. You know, maybe Mims is number two. Uh, the whole Steve Smith thing with Jerry Judy was pretty comical last week. I don't know if his confidence is shook or if he's going to come out and play great. Um, but you know, the matchups. I don't know. Keisha not uh, Nixon has allowed the fewest points per route covered. Uh, he's he plays ninety four percent in the slot, so I would like to get with UF line and figure out uh, why where there's a disparity between uh, the Packer uh, slot performance defensively. Um, Jair Alexander is obviously the biggest name there. Rasul Douglas is pretty solid too. So those, you know, Sutton and Brandon Johnson and Marvin Mims, uh, theoretically, uh, have tough matchups, but the numbers are saying the opposite. They're saying that Nixon is the best cover corner right now.
0: And we did see Samaji Pirine eliminated from this backfield with both Javante Williams and Jaleel McLaughlin healthy. And if you look at all the advanced rates too, like basically only Devon Achan has been more explosive than McLaughlin this year. He earns and he deserves more touches. And so with P Ryan out of the mix now, I have a little more confidence starting Javante and McLaughlin in this matchup, just for the touches.
1: And you're just saying you're saying he's out of the mix because of his role being shrunk down to 17% snaps and two touches. I mean, yeah, you're looking McLaughlin actually got the start. Uh, which I thought was interesting, but he finished with one less touch, one fewer touch than Javante. He he had two catches though for twenty for twelve yards. Javante ran pretty well, five point two yards per carry. This is a I think a viable spot for both Javante and Jaleel McLaughlin. The the, the Packer rush defense has been bad uh, all year and will probably continue to be bad. So. These guys are viable RB2, RB3, flex plays this week. Both of them, Javante Williams and Jule McLaughlin. And McLaughlin, I think, is more, the more explosive of the two, although Williams did look good last week.
0: Dolphins at the Eagles Sunday night. Again, please don't let us down. Don't ruin my confidence anymore that I have in football this year. Uh, and I think it's an amazing bounce-back spot for the Eagles. The Jets forced Josh Allen into his worst game of the year in the season opener. They held Patrick Mahomes to his fewest passing yards so far this season with two picks. And then, of course, turned the Eagles one-dimensional last week and stumped Jalen Hurts for three interceptions. Whereas the Dolphins' defense is not that. They've been miserable. 34 points to Justin Herbert, 40 points to Josh Allen, over 40. So we think Jalen Hurts in this passing game bounced back in a tremendous way and it's concentrated. A.J. Brown, who has separated from Devonta Smith, though we're still playing him, and DeAndre Swift even, who's popped up for 20 targets the past three games. So uh, your thoughts on the Eagles passing attack?
1: I think they're going to need it. Uh, the Dolphins are going to throw the ball on the Eagles. The Eagles are a pass funnel. I think the Dolphins can score very quickly and they obviously score a lot of points. So this should be a high-scoring game. The total's at 52. The Eagles are going to need their passing game. I think Jalen Hurts is set up well. I think A.J. Brown set up well. This could be a bounce back game for uh, Devonta Smith as well. Dallas Goddard uh, has a good matchup. Miami's 27th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to tight ends. So I think I would be starting all these Eagles, including DeAndre Swift. I mean, Miami's 26th against running backs as well. So this is a good spot for all of them.
0: And on the Dolphins' side of the ball, if Jeff Wilson were active. Any thoughts on where you would rank him?
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm interested to hear your take as well. I think we were both coming into the season uh, noticing the trend of when Wilson and was healthy and Mostert was healthy, that Wilson was the slight favorite in the backfield for touches. Uh, Mostert's obviously having a monster season. Wilson coming back off of injury. Certainly in the first game back, I want to see where things are at. I wouldn't rank Wilson very high uh, in his first game back. This is also a bad matchup for uh, Miami. We'll see if their running game is immune to bad matchups or resistant to bad matchups uh, with what they are able to do uh, with all their speed on their offense. I still have most are quite high because I have faith in the, in the running game, but I I don't think Wilson comes off of IR and immediately sees you know, 10, 12 touches. I mean, it could happen, but I think they probably want to ease him in and see how he's doing. He's got, I mean, with the way Mostert is playing, I don't think that they want to take him off the field too much if they can avoid it.
0: And even teams know you can't run into the heart of the Eagles' front seven. They're they they're facing the league's lowest run play rate. Uh, teams are only passing and getting the volume against Philadelphia. So I think that's how the Dolphins attack and have immense success. But that also is great for Raheem Mostert, who – doesn't need to get there in the rushing game. Like he can very well get there as the team's primary pass catching back too. So I'm in a situation where like, if I need to start Jeff Wilson, if he's active, I think he may be like 60-40 in his first game back in a tough matchup, but not not hoping to go there.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's ranked in the area with, you know, Craig Reynolds, for me anyway, Gus Edwards, <laughs> A.J. Dillon, Tyler Algier. I mean, these are guys that could probably see 10, 12 touches, but they're better. They're in better matchups except for Gus Edwards, um, than Jeff Wilson. I think it'll be interesting to see Miami if they decide just to go pass heavy, or if they do test out the the running game, because their, their scheme is a little different than what, you know, Philly has been seeing for the most part.
0: Vikings at the Niners rounding it out on Monday night football. And let's begin with the Niners backfield. Uh, And it's just the worst situation possible because I don't think we're going to know anything until Saturday morning, Sunday night. And our decisions are going to come down to the wire on Monday evening, because it sounds like Christian McCaffrey is trying to play and may play. And if he does, there's a chance he's even limited, though we can't bench McCaffrey if he plays. So really the question is then, what are you doing with Jordan Mason and Eli Mitchell, who I, I think are... Just one A, one B. Like I, I can't even imagine parsing them because I think they're just like in a timeshare.
1: This is a tough one. Uh, looking at it because I think you expected uh, Mitchell coming back last week back into his RB two role, uh, but he wasn't. Uh, McCaffrey did miss some time. Mason ended up five carries for twenty seven yards and a touchdown. Mitchell two carries for negative three yards. Uh, Mason out snapped Mitchell 24% to 11%, 15 to seven in pure snaps. So I would just right now give the a nod to, to Mason and that the fact that he did produce last week uh, and Mitchell did not just gives him the right to first touch. This is a pretty good running game. He looked pretty good as well. So I don't know that there's a whole lot of talent disparity between Mason and Mitchell. Mitchell has been, excellent when he has had the opportunity to be the rb1 for san francisco but just coming off the injury given what they did last week with them it just seems like mason's a little bit ahead and you you mentioned it as an rb1a rb1b situation that might be the case and that might, might be the case by the time that mitchell has a full week of you know of recovery and you know re to the offense um but you know he out he touched them five to two and double up the snaps. So it looks to me like Mason is the RB one and Mitchell is the RB two.
0: Just to add further context to it. uh, Shanahan did address that. And he said, Mitchell came back and practiced late last week on Thursday. So he got really one true day of practice in. And that's why Mason got the first nod once Christian came out. Um, But he also continued and said, Mason has earned more touches given his play too, because you know, these last two games with, Mitchell out, Mason averaged 6.4 yards per carry and scored two touchdowns. So that's why I think the worst thing that could happen for everyone is Christian McCaffrey play because there's a great chance he would still be limited and it would be a three headed timeshare. And that's not going to get anyone there.
1: Well, if it's, a th- if it's, you're still starting McCaffrey. And I think yeah, if course. he's getting, if he's getting 15, 17 touches, he could get there. Mason and, and Mitchell, I just don't think you could count on if, if McCaffrey's healthy or semi healthy.
0: I'm in leagues where if McCaffrey's out, I'm starting both of them. That's how desperate I am. I don't even care. I think it's going to be a timeshare. I can't pick who's going to get the goal line role, the pass-catching role. The majority of touches, I'm just starting both of them. And I'm trying to get this backfield all together. Uh, No need to talk about the passing game. Like, we know exactly what's going on here. Uh, George Kittle, whack-a-mole every week. You know what you're getting into, but you still start him every week because – once every six games, there's a 30-point burger that you have to play. So just keep on starting him. And Debo Samuel, we are not expecting to play, correct?
1: Yeah, and I think George Kittle is a little more... If 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 the 49ers have a whole week to prepare for no Debo, I think Kittle becomes a bigger part of the, the game plan. Sure, I think, yeah. You know, you would like to see, as a Kittle manager when Debo goes out, that Kittle immediately picks it up, but that's not what happened last week. Uh, but I think with a, with Debo likely out the other, the other player you could start as, uh, as, as a sneaky star is Juwan Jennings, uh, who kind of steps in and plays more snaps, sees more targets. Ayuk's a must play. I've got him at, at six uh, against the, the Vikings on the fast track and the dome, they're 26 and just of fancy points allowed to receivers. It'll be interesting to see how Brock Purdy plays without Debo um, and perhaps without McCaffrey.
0: And as you mentioned, we did see it last year. So probably a full week will make the difference for Kittle. But last year without Debo, that five-game stretch was Kittle leading the team with a 24.5% target share, uh, leading the league in receiving touchdowns. Tons of touchdowns, yeah. Yeah, and scoring 17.7 PPR points per game. So that's probably the difference if Debo is out. Uh, And on the other side of the ball, our first matchup we saw without Justin Jefferson, an offense that lacked... Any amount of pop whatsoever. Uh, Jordan Addison and KJ Osborne tied each other with five targets each. TJ Hawkinson's role didn't change at all. He had a six and a half depth of target coming into that game. He averaged a seven and a half depth of target. um, Still getting the volume, so he scores his floor, but just zero ceiling. He has to score a touchdown. Otherwise, like you're only playing him for these receptions, which is miserable in half PPR. Uh, And then Alexander Madison... Uh, 95% of the team's backfield touches runs into his center's ass every time and then now a miserable spot, but seeing all the touches. So again, concentrated offense.
1: Yeah, he might get a touchdown, uh, especially in a short week. You got to take the guy who's getting, you know, 22 touches against the Bears, uh, even though he didn't. I mean, he ended up with a decent yardage day, 72 yards looks like. So uh, the 49ers are a pass funnel, uh, even though their pass defense is decent. I do think that the Vikings will have to throw, throw it a lot. Uh, so I do think that, you know, Addison and Osborne are both startable. I, I prefer Addison due to the touchdown, uh, you know, equity that he's seen. Uh, Hawkinson's, you know, fine. His, like, as you mentioned, his role hasn't changed. He's led the team in targets with eight. Madison had seven last week. Addison five apiece. Addison got the end zone uh, or got the touchdown. He had a couple touchdowns earlier in the year. Osborne uh, ha- has when he has seen consistent usage produced. So this could be a breakout game for him. Um, but he's more of a, I kind of look, look at him as like a low talent. I shouldn't say that moderate talent, uh, high volume in terms of his routes run and possible targets with Justin Jefferson out. So he's in a, he's in a good spot usage wise. And he has produced in your, uh, years past when he's seen, you know, five plus targets per game.
0: Good spot usage wise, but a middle spot against San Francisco's defense with that Paulson. What else do you have for everyone coming out of the site this week?
1: Uh, Sneaky starts us up. Be sure to check out the breakout receiver model for week seven. Week six did really well. Uh, so happy to see that. Uh, uh, usage versus usage usually regresses to the mean, which is good for the breakout receiver model. And uh, just keeping up on uh, projections in a very weird week.
0: Reminder it is free Discord week as well at 4 for 4, where you can get access to all our AM- AMAs happening. For free this week we also may sneak in a little promo code in there for you if you want to get another discount too so please pay attention to the 4 for 4 twitter at 4 for 4 football and jump into those amas if you have any questions because we're there answering all of them just for you and i'll be back friday for the dfs show 6 p.m eastern this very channel until then good luck and remember be a little bit kinder what's fun i'll see you next